Welcome to the Stories We Don't Tell. I'm Stefan. I'm Joey. And I'm Paul. And this is a podcast about storytelling. I missed my friends. I hated the children. I wanted a frickin' taco. I'd been in a little town in China, Zhejiang province, called Iwu for about a week, and I already hated everything about it. Uh, I had just graduated into the Great Recession, uh, totally unemployable in the United States, um, but determined to make my way as an adult in the real world without having to move back into my parents' basement. Um, so I had found a job teaching English in China, got on a plane, and I left behind the comfortable and the familiar. I left behind my family and my friends and my antidepressants and uncensored internet and easy access to a daily Americano, and I set out to make my way in the world. And one weekend, I felt like I was dying. I hated the school and the unpleasant administrators and the cold institutional dormitory where I had to live. Everywhere I went, I was stared at, people talked. The teachers at the school hated me and my nose ring. They hated that I was a kid and I was making twice as much as they were, so I can't really blame them. And I really actually very much disliked the kids I was supposed to be teaching. Um, I ate every meal alone. I spent all of my time outside of the classroom alone, and I felt really bad. And beneath that sadness and the anger at being someplace where I didn't want to be, uh, there was this low, slow, pounding pain that sat behind my eyes. There was a low, slow, pounding pain and an exhaustion of the sort that I had never experienced before. There was low, slow, pounding pain and exhaustion and this alarming feeling of an electric zap in my brain whenever I moved my eyes. I had never felt so physically bad before. And I was scared because China's the land of SARS and swine flu and there had been a yellow fever outbreak in the region where I was living over the summer and so I wondered if I was dying. It was entirely possible. So I called my mom and I asked my mom if she thought I was dying. Um, so a couple of notes on my parents before we proceed. Uh, my entire life they've exercised great restraint uh, when I say and do really alarming things. Um, when I was 15 and I told them I was having recurring nightmares and was sad all the time, they were like, that's a bummer, let's take you to the doctor. And then they remained totally unflappable when I was diagnosed with depression and then medicated. And then when I was 17, and I said, you know, I think I'm gonna quit school and move to China for one year. Um, they were like, great, sounds good. Despite what I now know to have been just a pants-shittingly terrifying experience of having your kid up and move across the entire world. So they're not uncaring or apathetic. They are just extremely confident that things will turn themselves upright for me always. 
So when I asked my mom over the phone if I was dying, she didn't do the thing that most parents would do, which is like, all right, we're gonna buy you a plane ticket and you're gonna come home and you'll be safe and sound and in our arms. She didn't do that because she knew it wouldn't work. Uh, my dad says I have an iron whim. It's this stubborn impulse to dig my heels in on things with no rational basis. Um, I wasn't going to go home. And my mom knew better than to suggest it. So on the phone instead, she said, man, I know things are tough right now, and it sucks that you don't feel well. You also sound pretty down. Why don't you send us your address, and we'll put a care package in the mail. And also, maybe you should see a doctor in the meantime. So I went and saw a doctor. Doctor didn't find anything wrong with me, but the pain and the zaps continued. Um, and about two weeks after I called my parents, uh, a package arrived in the mail. They'd stuffed a box full of all of these wonderful things that you just can't get in a third tier Chinese city. There was a book of New York Times crossword puzzles. There was chocolate. There was coffee and a French press. I made myself a cup of coffee and I put my face over the cup and inhaled the steam and I felt just a little bit better. And they had also sent me a bag of pistachios, which I thought was an odd choice. Uh, you can get pistachios in China. They definitely didn't need to send me a two-pound bag. Um, and even weirder was that the bag was accompanied by a post-it note that said, Aaliyah, thought you could use these. Check inside the shelves. And I was like, duh, Dad, I know how pistachios work. <laughs> <laughs> the inside is where the nuts are. <laughs> And then I noticed that the bag had been um, opened and then resealed with double-sided tape. Curious. So I pulled out a handful of nuts, cracked one open, yum, cracked open a second, delicious. And then the third one was different. The third had been sealed shut with what appeared to be Elmer's glue. And when I pried it open, I discovered that the nut had been replaced with a little white pill. It, and I recognized this pill. It was my citalopram. It was my antidepressants. And I realized what must have happened, which is that my parents, who were loving and outrageous people, had talked my doctor into filling a three-month prescription of my antidepressants. And then they realized that you can't just put three months worth of pharmaceuticals into the mail. So they hatched a plan. So another thing you need to know about my parents at this point is that they're like old hippies who are not unfamiliar with the acquisition and you know transport of mind-altering drugs. So I imagined them sitting down at the kitchen table after dinner and smoking a joint <laughs> and getting to work. <laughs> Carefully opening up 90 pistachios. <laughs> Removing the nuts, replacing them with pills, Carefully sealing them back up and putting them back into the bag and putting that shit in a box and sending it to me in China. <laughs> so as the caffeine kicked in and as the citalopram kicked in and started to do its thing, 
the pain receded and the zaps stopped. And I realized that I wasn't dying. I didn't have swine flu. I had just been experiencing caffeine withdrawal and SSRI antidepressant withdrawal at the same time, and it felt a lot like dying. <laughs> I was so relieved that I didn't have swine flu, and I was so relieved to have clarity back. Um, I only lasted another few months at that teaching job before I moved on to other things, but I ended up spending the next four or five years in China, and I had a huge adventure. And every three months, I got a little shipment of pistachios. <laughs> Honestly, I love this story. I'm going to say I'm going to start. This story was one of those stories where someone tells you, and it, as it continues on, you don't believe it, and then, ah, it's great. But there's also enough moments where you're like, wait a second, is this the point where it's going to go horribly wrong? And then it never goes too horribly wrong, like where you're like, okay, so she's experiencing some some heavy stuff and it could be really weird and it could go off the rails at any point. And then it's just cute. Yeah, because you, you think it's almost like um, like a kind of like travel story at the beginning, you know, where you're just like, okay. Uh, you know, she's moved to, to across the world. She's like, it's a new uh, experience for her. And just like the, the challenges of that kind of thing. Yeah. And so, you know, we're trying to, you know, link little conversations back to the back of stories. And so this one, we're talking about how to craft a story with a reveal, right? Because, well, honestly, what's amazing about this story, particularly in the reveal in this, is that most stories that hinge on a reveal are always, you are, are always building up to it in a way that you sort of know something's coming, but it doesn't happen. Whereas this story, you don't know where it's going at all until suddenly it just, you know, the nut cracks. Ha, pun. Um, okay, I'm going to override that. So does a reveal hinge upon an expectation? Like, what do you think makes a reveal? Like, what makes a good reveal? Because in my head, this is what I was thinking while you were just while you're just saying that, is that there has to be an expectation that is then subverted or or circumvented by something, or it's skirted around somehow. Because otherwise, isn't it just straightforward and almost the expectation that you have is met? So, what's a reveal? Well, I. I don't know, like it, to me in terms of this particular story, uh, I feel like, okay, she had uh, she had the reveal and it's really a great one. And to me, the expectation or the, uh, not really, because you're it, when you start, when you're telling a story like this and you know you have that reveal, you, the audience doesn't necessarily know that. They don't know that yet, but I feel like she, for for her it's like kind of just you want you need to keep people going along and you need to be like this is going somewhere but also not building it up too much but giving enough detail and getting to that reveal pretty quick but also like the amount like enough detail so that when it happens people are like invested in it yeah, I, f I feel like there's two types of reveals. This is my position. I think there are, are two types of stories that hinge on a reveal. There's, there is one where 
the the expectation is being set up the whole way through, right? And you're and so it's you know you start the story and you're like, what's behind that door? And you and you and you just keep going and going and going, and they never open the door, right? They move closer and they don't, and they do and they don't, and it's in your and stories it being driven forward by by a known reveal that is coming, right? You you set up you set up that tension, and that's what creates the tension. The tension is 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 the fact that there is going to be this reveal, and it can it can show up or not, which is not, of course, this story. This story, I think, is a second type, which is you don't know where the story is going at all. Until the reveal. The reveal is actually what the story is about, right? Like, you're going on, you're telling bits, you're, you're keeping moving forward because things are happening, but people are left wondering, why are you telling me this story? You know, until this one moment occurs, and you're like, oh. And I think that... And so I think those are those are to me are the two differences. One is one is you're being pulled along trying to understand what is happening, and the other one is maybe more structurally set on you know something is going to be shown to you later and you want to know what it is so it's a completely a completely different level of suspense yeah because like you know there, again there's another story that we that that we that maybe we'll get this podcast later that we were workshopping recently in which again the, the the person was 10 minutes into the story and i was like why are you telling us this and then there's one moment you're like oh that's amazing Right, but the st- and the story doesn't work if you sort of know where that's going. But but the but the switch does really work if if that reveal is good enough. The the real, to me the question when trying to figure this out is how do you build that suspense or how do you keep it moving that when you do the reveal it's satisfying, right? Because well, you need to give the people give the people you know <laughs> this one the audience the people give the people a reveal that is satisfying. So if she had opened the story with. Uh, I was somewhere far from home and I didn't bring something important to me and my parents put it in some cracked nutshells and sent it to me and that's how she opened it. It would have had story. the effect. Yeah. Well, it's a different story, you know, or even, even if they were like, even if she set up as being like, I am, you know, experiencing severe SSRI re- re- withdrawal and I'm in a place I cannot get it and I don't know how. Then again, then that's actually setting up the reverse type of reveal, right? Like you could tell this entire story with with the reveal being how the parents managed to do this. But that, but 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 it, but the funny thing is that the way she told it is the way she experienced it, which was that she didn't know what was happening until she cracked the nut. Do you think telling it in that opposite way changes the type of genre? Like, is it suddenly because the way that this story was told, it ends up being very comedic. Mm. But oh, yeah, totally. in in this reverse telling, I'm feeling it far more dramatic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You start off with you know you start off with how how scary you're and how unhappy you are and how difficult this has been, and then yeah, you're working into this whole different yeah. It's an entirely different genre. You're right. You're you in and it's how you work that in is 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 a hundred percent impacting the the type of story you're telling. And it's and it goes to show you how you know how you live and experience. What's interesting is that for this particular story it almost seems like she didn't even understand why she was unhappy until the story ends. Like the whole story sort of hinges on almost her own lack of understanding of what's going on. And then that's commu- and then that's transferred onto the audience. What I thought was so um, effective about this kind of the, the way that she wrote it and the way that um, it was structured is that to me, it revealed it was, it's like the best kind of re- reveal. It's not just like, 
something fun or something crazy or something like this. It's to me, it, it had a lot more depth to it because without having to go into a lot of detail, she, you got a incredible sense of who her parents are and her relationship to them. And like, just through the act, the actual reveal in itself. I mean, for me, I just, um, like you were talking about, well, what if, you know, she, she did talked about how the, her parents did it. To me, the more exciting thing was being able to imagine her father sitting hunched over a desk and like, you know, cracking open these things and putting the things and she didn't have to do go into all of that. And but then also it just, it just brought a whole lot more. So there was like a lot packed into that reveal, but um, it it didn't she didn't have to set it up too much. It kind of really like the way she did it in a, in this sort of um, just like, I'm just telling you, this is what happened. And, and then she got there and I, like, to me, it just w was, uh, there was a lot more depth to it and she allowed it to have that depth and let us kind of like, you know, go along with her, um, on, on this journey, like you were saying, the way that she kind of, um, she, it's the way that she experienced it, which I thought was a, a, a really great way to, to approach it. You, then I think that goes to th this idea of like, you know, I, I honestly think that the way you have to sell an oversell or undersell a reveal has to do with how good the reveal is. You know, if the reveal is only okay, like if the thing that actually happened was like fine, you have to build that, you have to find another way to build up intrigue or find another way to have that payoff matter. When you have a reveal that is so good that like you just are left with like asking 7,000 questions and wanting to know everything, which is exactly how the story left everyone who heard it. The, the you don't you can un, you not underplay it in and in, in the strength of having a good story like this it allows you to underplay it and that gives you so much more range to work with. It's funny too because it kind of almost goes against the the show don't tell like part of the showing is actually not telling. I mean I guess that sort of turns back in on itself and then that is moot. But but that part of part of showing is actually not to show too much. Mm. Like that maybe that's the that's more of what I mean. So instead of saying like, you know, describing the scene where her parents were doing what they were doing, um, we're left with Paul, like you say, is just imagining what that moment was like. So I, I have actually, I actually have an ending for this one, um, which is, I think that if you are telling a story that has a bit of a reveal, you do get to decide the kind of story. To, to go back to Joey's point earlier, you do get to decide the kind of story you're telling. Because there is a good version of this story that is a thriller. Like, there's a good version of this story that is her desperately needing this particular thing, trying to find ways to get it, her, her parents going on this mission to create this opportunity for her, and then you not knowing if it's going to arrive, you not knowing if she's going to, if it's going to be okay, and all this sort of stuff, right? They're, like, you, there's a decision to be made about the type of story you are telling by how you go about using the reveal. And I think that's a that's sort of an interesting thing to think about. If you have a story that has that, you get to choose that a little bit. Um, and that's my thought. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Visit storieswedonttell.org and like our Facebook page for more information about our monthly events. And for more stories, check out our book, available anywhere books are sold. This episode of the Stories We Don't Tell podcast is brought to you by Pistachios. Pistachios, the happy nut. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>